Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of JCOS Presents Sound Sociology in discussion with. And today, I've got Miss Sykes from the English Department. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, Hi. So, um, thank you for joining me on today's uh, podcast in, in conversation with. Um, you obviously work as a, an English, English teacher within the school, um, and specifically English Lit. English Lit and English Language. language. And we're talking today about English Language. Fantastic. We, we've, um, we've come to this particular podcast uh, to talk about, my understanding is, uh, how language has evolved and uh, as a kind of result of that, how that informs our understanding and the discourse around gender. Is that right? I think so, because gender is such a changing concept in our society and I think in English language we're interested in um, how people in people's perceptions of gender Mm -hmm. but most importantly how that is reflected through the use of language gender is an expression of identity um, and for us in English language it's so interesting to see how as perceptions of gender evolve how the language around gender also evolves to kind of reflect that i think it's interesting like you know in sociology gender is very much one of the key concepts that's used within all the topics education crime um Mm. families beliefs and you know you speak about language and how it involves um and i think it's the same when we think about those social structures like education Mm. and religious systems and the criminal justice system all of those institutions have also evolved in their understanding or have needed to evolve in their understanding of gender to ensure that they're working at the most effective they can do. So that's the thing, because language is, is functional, right? And so as these, as these structures uh, evolve, um, the way that we use language does too, because, and that's the, the beauty and the power of language, really, and ha- because it, it's so interesting to see how it reflects some of these bigger ideas. I guess we have to kind of have a bit of a starting point, don't we? Um, so for those who are uninitiated to the world of gender, what's your, what's your kind of understanding of a gender and like what can we kind of pin it down to to understand how we've got to where we've got to? So we look um, in English language, we talk about sort of historical notions of gender. And um, there are some academics and scholars who some time ago... Um, in the 1980s but they were using sort of really deeply embedded um, ideas about gender came to the conclusion that actually the way that men and women not only speak are different uh, but that the way that women speak is not as good as the way that men speak or kind of more more um, subordinated to the way that men speak we call this the dominance approach so there are these theorists that suggest that uh women use much kind of fluffier language Mm. not as precise language they use lots of fillers and hedges they use lots of trivial and empty adjectives like oh lovely Mm -hmm. there's some theorists that talk about how men interrupt women Mm -hmm. and the percentage of interruptions in a conversation between men and women Mm -hmm. is so is so unequal um go on well just for the irony there but it's uh, yeah (laughs) exactly hello (laughs) 
as, as examples. As, as, yeah. as explained there. Um, I guess it's interesting <laughs> because, like, within sociology, we, you know, that idea of, uh, of hegemonic understandings of what gender, of what, you know, a hegemonic masculinity or hegemonic femininity yeah. looks like. You know, we talk about it in terms of masculinity being domineering, being physically strong, being the breadwinner, being the one who's rational and in control, whereas... Uh, the kind of uh, stereotypes that go with hegemonic femininity could be carer, um, the one who looks after children, the one who's more likely to um, be more emotional in responses to situations. And I guess that also feeds into the language. Totally, there's like, someone talks about, when women are described using semantic fields of food and animals, so like honey... Um, or de- deer is actually not, but also when you look at word order as yep. well, um, men and women or Mr. and Mrs. Yes. And, um, you know, obviously we don't have this anymore, but traditionally you would be called a fireman or a headmaster yeah. before that became neutralized. So, you know, even talking about professions mm-hmm. and which, what we associate with gender. So language totally, totally has reflected that in the past. So... So if we, we've looked at how, you know, where, where we've come from, and to quote Amy Winehouse, you don't know where you've been, you know where you're going into where you've been. So well, how... <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. Yeah. Uh, how do we bring it up to kind of like the turning points? Are there any particular turning points that have created this, this shift in our understanding of language and gender? Yeah, well, listen, we all know now that we hopefully have started to think about gender in um, less rigid way not as something that's binary you know and and male and female but something that is a bit more kind of um fluid and there was in the 1990s there were some some thinkers who thought about this notion of performativity which really um feeds into this idea that gender is a construct it is something that um can be built and um, people can have autonomy over, they can choose how they would like to perform their gender, they can choose how they would like to identify. And of course, language is just one of the ways in which somebody might choose to, um, to perform their gender. It's interesting that, because that idea that the roles have become more fluid, it links in with um, postmodernist sociologists um, who talk about concepts like genderquake or the emergence of the new man, or yeah. the, the the rise of the house husband, this kind of this idea that um, that the roles, the typical roles that one might find, have now become, as you put it, more fluid. Um, it's interesting because also, you know, if we kind of look at what's happened during the last fifteen, eighteen months, mm. um, even our understanding of gender sometimes can can, uh, as much as we like to think we are super progressive in the twenty first mm. century, I believe there was a really interesting finding that showed that during lockdown one people still typically went back to their um, hegemonic role so like women still ended up doing more of the cooking the cleaning the child caring whilst dad was kind of doing the tokenistic role of oh i'll walk the kids around the park and doing less of those frequent well, things which begs the question just because we label something or we can change the label of it how deep does that actually run and i do think we're just at the tip of the iceberg with it i don't think things have changed mm. uh, fully yet I mean, it's, um, you know, it does get us thinking about how time, as you say, we haven't fully changed yet, but we're on a, a kind of evolution and ch- yeah. uh, of, of, uh, of of how it evolves. Um, the, 
I believe something we spoke about before we, we came on for the podcast was we we're going to talk about um, uh, language drag queens and maybe how that also influences. So that's a really good example for performativity um, because if you think about the, the, the notion of a drag queen, you've got so much going on with gender there. Um, and it's a perfect example of a man performing their role as woman. Mm. And so studies have taken place where, where scholars look at drag queens in drag mm-hmm. and out of drag and compare the way that language is used. And ultimately, what's interesting and I think really support this idea of language performativity is that in drag, a, a, almost an entirely new discourse, an entirely new mode of language was developed by the drag queens, mm-hmm. where they weren't associating as men, they weren't associating as women or identifying mm-hmm. as women, they were identifying as drag, mm-hmm. a kind of brand new gender, yeah. in inverted commas, if you like, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think shows the kind of, um, I'm saying fluidity again, but mm-hmm. that's not quite the right word, flexibility, I suppose, of language. I can't help but think of um, a sociologist, um, uh, Goffman, Who's an, inter- yeah. who's an interactionist and he talks about um, how um, all human beings have a front stage and a backstage role mm-hmm. it'd be quite interesting to kind of get your take on this um, you know the idea is that our front stage roles are what we perform outwardly for everyone to see and um, what yeah. we want the world to see but backstage roles are what we secretly do for ourselves what what do you kind of make of that in terms of our understanding of how gender works in and even maybe even linking it with the drag queens uh, information you've said um, how does that kind of work or do you see that working I think it's about what influences those different parts of our identity and how comfortable we feel in um, the social groups that we're in too mm. um, and we have this term in English called communities of practice which is you know almost as important arguably some people argue as gender or social class or ethnicity in defining the way that we speak you could have a social class that's really sorry you could have a community of practice that's related to um gender so it could be that you're in a little social network a social group of Mm -hmm. girlfriends or boyfriends or you could be in a community of practice which has nothing to do with gender it could be that you play you you like football Mm. so you're you have a discourse about football with a certain group of people and so when you're talking to those people you identify using with them using that particular language i think it's um it's interesting is it because it all starts to feed into like this bigger topic you know the bigger title we had for the episode which was like talking about perceptions and like our perceptions of of you know in the case of what we're talking about today gender it's how one sees themselves but also how others interact with them um and then you could even go further and say how the people within that group interact with one another so you know one could say um you know our perceptions of our gender is you know is based around the things that we engage with around the world so or you know whether it be media whether it be um education whether it be religion all of that is shaping our identity around around um, how how we see ourselves as either male or female. But I guess, you know, we pinned down the 90s as a kind of really turning point. Um, And I guess when we think about some of the things that have happened during that time period, the last 30, nearly 40 years, it's, it's made us have to question an awful lot about 
what does it mean to be male what does it mean to be female probably more than than ever totally and now with the year very recently coming right up to date we're thinking about the um significance of pronouns mm. if we're talking about language as well and how we define ourselves um, and you know there's opportunity now on your social media to categorize whether you identify as she or her or he or him or they mm-hmm. there's also a whole group of what we call neo pronouns like Z, Z I don't even know how you answer which is ZE mm-hmm. um, and people have the opportunity now to there's a there's more of a language now mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly for people to be able to identify and categorize themselves in a much broader way than uh, than in the past it's again everything you'll say it's so interesting because i can't i know like in in year 13 when we do the a level um we talk about kind of modernist versus postmodernist thinking and it's interesting with all the new categories kind of one one can say of how you could categorize yourself it's easy to kind of go well oh sociologically speaking we've moved into a postmodern age now because there's so much fluidity and so much different and diverse types of ways then this implies like oh you, you can almost pick and choose what you want but i can't help but also kind of feel like it's slightly modernist still because there's still a like tick this box if this is you which is the irony and my student we, when we discussed this first in class we, this year with my current year 12s um it does seem a bit reductive is that the word that you you, you know you've got this whole new language but at the same time we're still categorizing mm-hmm. so is it still the right way to represent who we are mm-hmm. and the idea that we can be who we want to be mm-hmm. but then that's what language is, in mm. a sense. It can be confining mm-hmm. to some extent, or, you know, but I just think the very notion that some of these terms exist and that it's okay to use them now, mm-hmm. um, I think has to, be, has to be thought of as progress. It, which kind of brings on to, you know, as we approach kind of like the back end of, of the pod, uh, that's what I like to call it, the pod, um, we... Um, We've got to kind of like think about like what are the positives and negatives of these new perceptions of gender um you know as someone who's very much probably described himself as a postmodernist uh from a sociological point of view i can't help but see the the evolving nature of of gender as quite a positive uh, concept it's you know the challenging of hegemonic ideas that probably you and I are very familiar with in our own growing up, probably at some point in yeah. the late 80s, early 90s, 90s. It's positive and it gives, it's very reassuring to kind of know that there's a sense of, uh, of, of more individuality, like to how gender can sure. be perceived. I mean, what should, do you, yeah, I, I think it has to be positive. I just think, as we said before, this idea of labelling can be difficult. And, um, you know, is that, is that with language, are we thinking then, is that, a res- is that restrictive? Are we restricting ourselves by having to constantly categorise? Mm. But at the same time, the very fact that it is now... You know, I looked, the other day in my class, I showed the Instagram profile of just somebody, mm. completely random... And she was making a big thing about the fact now on Instagram you can, you can. There's a space to put your pronoun, mm. and 
I, for some people that may be difficult, mm-hmm. but I, and I do understand why, but any, any way that language can help us to express ourselves mm. and be authentic, I think has to be a positive. It's, um, yeah, it's got to be a positive. And I mean, it all, you know, I know we're coming towards the end of the pod and, um, it's interesting because then it gets to think about the kind of duty of care and responsibility for people in like you know we live in a media saturated society and you know the responsibility media has whether it be traditional or new in how in what role it plays in kind of shape shaping our understanding of gender now um you know the we are in a very you know gender has become and will always be a very controversial topic but even more so when you lay it over the top of of new media and the regulations that you know or the lack of regulations that can happen in new media it it does make you wonder how much um i say responsibility some of these social media platforms have in in how we explore the discourse around gender in a safe and uh, harm-free way it has to be safe and harm-free because we can explore anything but then, and language gives us the freedom to do that. But as you say, it has to be safe. And there's something about experimenting, um, which I don't know, maybe isn't always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think. Uh, well, look. I think as we uh, as we come up to the end now, um, is there anything you? would really urge people to go and have a look at in terms of um, books or TV shows or articles or or just any kind of final thoughts? Yeah, I think that there's a couple of... Um, if we're thinking about this idea of performativity, mm-hmm. you mentioned but- Judith Butler before. Yes. And there's also Penelope Eckert. Yes. Do you know her as well? I've heard the name. Okay. Um, and she's very keen on um, this idea of, perform- of performativity, um, but she doesn't look at she looks at it as language as one aspect of it. Mm. Um, and she also looks at how behave how like our behaviours in certain social groups um, can affect how we perform our identities. Um, and you know, look, language is everywhere. You can look as you, you talk about social media, but you know, you can look you can look at adverts and think about. Um, how different genders are represented. Mm. You can look in any kind of text, um, articles, social media, and just be just be thinking about the way that um, gender is represented through language. Um, and I think that's a good question to, to ask yourselves. How is gender being represented in this text? And on that note, um, I'm going to say thank you very much for joining us on Jacob's Presents. Thanks for having me. I'm glad the listeners out there have thoroughly enjoyed today's episode. Um, if you have enjoyed what you've heard from today's episode, like and subscribe and join us on the next episode of Jacob's Presents Sound Sociology in conversation with. Bye for now. <laughs>